I think if government could give it as much attention as they're giving certain other elements that are happening in our country, we would be able to achieve way more. But I don't think that human trafficking or trafficking in persons is being given the attention it deserves if you look at the number of people who are being affected by it. South Africa may have one of the best constitutions in the world, but does it hold up in cases of human trafficking? To answer this, I sat down with a team of experts to help us analyze this further and discuss the impact of the law. This is Humans for Sale, a six-part podcast series with Hope Risen Foundation brought to you by Pembani. Sis Pumla, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. I'm honored to be here. You know what? When we were going through your bio, it was pages and pages of something that is so uh, credible, respectful, hard work, and definitely a reflection of your vision and your mission and your purpose in life. Mm. Well, I think I started by default, actually, in Tell the us. human rights sector. We couldn't get articles during that time. Mm. So I took a year off in 93 to look after my firstborn. And then the following year, I started working for, I started doing human rights work. So I've been doing human rights work since 94. And the first case that I ever had was having to deal with survivors of political violence in KwaZulu-Natal in Durban when there was conflict between the ANC and IFP. So you actually walked into those situations. You were not just standing there, mm-hmm. you know, on the side. You walked in it, worked till the early hours of the morning whilst the police did not want to go into those areas. Mm-hmm. So it has been my, yes, it's been my calling since 94 and I haven't been able to get away from it. It's a passion. I think we're all human rights activists and believe in human rights justice and advocacy Mm. as women sitting around the mics. So let's just unpack the definition of what the law, Sis Pumla and Tabitha and Wendy, defines as human trafficking. Okay, uh, human trafficking in its simplest form is really the... Um, exploitation of people for profit making. All right. It has three elements. You have your act. So various acts, either through recruitment, harboring, mm. transporting, and it can go on. Mm. The means used is the way that you are recruited. Is it done through f- deceit? Is it done through abduction or kidnapping? Mm. So those are the means that can be used in order to ensure that you come to the party to be exploited. And obviously the exploitative purpose, there are various exploitative purposes. There's your sexual exploitation. There's your labor. There's also um, exploitation for forced labor, for organ, child labor, organ, organ removal. Gosh. But now what you need to be uh, aware of is that with respect to an adult, those are the three elements that must be satisfied, the act, the means, and the exploitative purpose. But for children, it is only the act 
and the exploitative purpose. Because by virtue of being a child, you are already vulnerable. So, according to United Nations Office of Drugs and Crime, report worldwide almost 20% of all trafficking victims are children. Children are targeted because of their innocence, used for begging, prostitution, pedophilia, or child pornography. Yes. Child brides uh, are a huge exp- uh, exploitation of human rights. What's been happening is that we're having a distorted version of Ogotwila. Yeah. If you recall that in the olden days, fortunately, I also grew up in a rural area. I have actually seen a woman being pulled uh, in the 70s, but I think she was just mocking it. Um, there was an agreement between her and her so-called boyfriend. But now what's happening now is that children are now being uh, bought from their parents and their relatives under the guise of Ukutwala. And that can never be because that is not the tradition that we were raised with. Uh, It's usually an agreement between two consenting adults who actually want to avoid the Lobola process and want to expedite it. Mm. But now you're getting older men coming from the mines or wherever, Mm. uh, taking children as their brides. I think the first case was State versus Jezile in Cape Town. Um, He went and bought, I think she was 14 years old, she was in grade 7, And he bought her from her relatives. And then she was taken to the local area. She ran away. Mm. Um, the family brought her back. And then she was eventually taken to Cape Town, mm. where she was his so-called bride. And he repeatedly raped her and also made her work in the house, locked her in. But she managed to escape. And he got a lengthy sentence. I think it was about 20 years imprisonment, wasn't it? Or 18 to 20 years, yeah, uh, in the Western Cape High Court. So your highest priority on a daily basis, what do you do? What does your day look like? Well, I'm doing this part-time. I also classify. But, I mean, if people call me about specific instances, I mean, I do respond. My phone is on a, on a daily basis. Most of the time, I'm expected to advise um, mm. survivors of trafficking in persons. Oh, is it? Yes. I've had only two cases thus far. Mm. Um, what I've been doing right now, because we're trying to get out there and let people know that we exist, mm. I do awareness raising and so a when lot you of say, workshops. So this is Pumla, when you say we exist, what's the name of... We, we? are now called the Corn- Cornerstone Anti-Human Trafficking Institute. Okay. So my organization merged, the Ndombez Ndlanuduani Human Trafficking Institute merged with Cornerstone in East London. Okay. So we are both in East London and here. I'm here. They right. are in East London, yeah. Um, Tabitha, so what I'd like to, to also know from Hope Risen is that how you um, deal with just the the ignorance when it comes to our national police mm-hmm. and it when it comes to abiding by those uh, so-called laws that the government is trying to, to develop in our society. Because we had a brief chat that it begins with, you know, the police at mm-hmm. some point and they are clueless mm-hmm. at some stages. Yeah. And it's a, it's a real challenge yeah. problem. If you want to call it a problem, it is a real problem. Is it? Absolutely. And across the board, it's, it's not just one particular area. It's across the board. We don't have our law enforcement equipped on, on what human trafficking yeah, is. Yes. Yeah, we don't. Yes. Um, and so you've got, 
um, organizations like Hope Risen Foundation who are being called into police stations to help facilitate this process around a possible trafficking victim. We are being called to help them. Now, I think it's great that we're getting the calls, but what concerns us is that from a national level, they're not being equipped or trained on what human trafficking is. Pumla, yes. am I right? I mean, I've done a number of workshops in Port Elizabeth We're on behalf of another organization. Yeah, and um, it has been said that it is not a national priority. Um, Unbelievable. So we Wendy. need political will. It is not a priority at the moment. And that is why it's also impacting on the ignorance levels. So you find not only just the police, you can even go to the prosecutors mm. as well. I mean, I have laid eyes on a charge sheet which did not speak to the evidence that a person had committed human trafficking. And you would find the prosecutor is not the one drafting the charge sheet, but a senior person who is not going to prosecute the case. So solutions, how are we going to educate, if not our police enforcement, our ministers, our MPs? You know, are people really, really in governmental, judiciary, executive power? With the chal- one of the challenges that we are facing with all of that is um, we don't have even dedicated teams to, to fully commit themselves to this problem that we've got in, in South Africa around human trafficking. We don't even have that. So that in itself is a challenge because we've got these people who've been in some way forced to be on a specific team from a government forced. level and they're doing a million other things mm. and now they're having to take on human trafficking and it's, it's, it's not possible for them. And so I, I have compassion for that. They are doing their best, but they are, they have such limitations. It's unbelievable. And so we're sitting on a task team that has been operating for what, eight, nine years and we're not seeing any change. Um, and that's not because the people don't want to do something about it. It's that these people don't have the resources. The they don't have the tools, the yeah. funding to do it properly. They've got the passion mm. and they want to make the change, but they honestly do not have the things that are needed in order for it to run effectively. And so it becomes this ripple effect as Pumlo, you know, was saying, it doesn't just stay where, where we're talking about police. It moves on beyond that and it becomes a ripple effect and it's a vicious yeah. cycle that's affecting one another. Do you have anything to add? To Social that? development also is another problem area. They're supposed to drive the process, Correct. for instance, and do the necessary assessment, find people as possible human trafficking survivors. I hate the word victim, sorry. Um, and you're not getting any buy-in. Home affairs is supposed to be detecting this. You're getting people coming into the country. Correct. Uh, unlawfully so. Um, and uh, the next thing, a person will shout that they, they're a refugee. They don't go and check as to whether the situation is a trafficking in person situation. So across the board, you are getting a situation where people are ignorant. There are no specialized units. Mm. There are no specialized courts. Mm. I shudder to think what the magistrates, the knowledge of the magistracy and the judiciary because they also need to be educated Correct. on that. Correct. And that hasn't happened. And you know, you need a whole a collective to do it. Mm. The NPA cannot do it alone. 
Uh, justice cannot do it alone. So you need a whole lot of people who will have a program of action for the year to educate within the provinces. I mean, the Eastern Cape at the moment, most of the people here in South Africa who are coming into these provinces are coming from those rural areas in the Eastern Cape. And yet our police don't know how. In fact, I heard a few comments from the Alexandria police station, from Stadaheim police station. There's no such thing as human trafficking. It's just a drug problem. Or, or it's an abuse problem. Yes. It's rape, but it's not human trafficking. Yet when we look at all the elements that are going on, it is very clear to us that this is a human trafficking situation. So Spumla, in your uh, journey and doing what you do and doing what you do best, what have been the cases that have really stood out for you um, and, and have somewhat, even little progress that they've made, have made progress when it comes to ending human trafficking in South Africa? The little cases mm. that I've dealt with. Mm. Actually, they haven't come, you know, it's been a problem just dealing it with a case from the beginning mm. because you will, I've had only two cases. In fact, the other one is still being dealt with. The first one, this person went back to the perpetrator. We spoke about that. Eh? The first, she went back and actually handed out my number. So I got a threatening call. So obviously we still need to, as organizations, figure out how we are actually going to deal with them. And also self-protection. Self-protection, yes. But I think... Let us not be in a rush to prosecute. We need to deal with the emotional side first. Because the minute once we are fast-paced, it just becomes too much for an individual. Wendy, can, sorry, Sister Pumla, can you add to that about the emotional stability of a survivor when wanting to report these cases, at no matter what level they're at? Yes, I do think there needs to be a certain amount of restoration or counseling, trauma counseling, before um, a survivor can actually appear in court and be effective. Mm. Um a reminder is also that very often with trauma, it'll take about two, three weeks before the trauma actually starts manifesting in the body where they can talk about it. Um, the other problem as well emotionally with the um, survivors is there's no protection for them if they're over 18 or 18 or over once they get to court. They've been in a situation where they've been tortured, abused, raped, beaten by their traffickers, yet when they come to court, they have to stand face-to-face again with the trafficker. And um, very often that is why it actually never gets to prosecution. Apparently, Jacob Zuma, um, ladies, signed in 2013 Prevention and Combating of Trafficking in Persons Bill. It's the act now. It came into effect in uh, on the 7th of August 2015. Tell us more about that, ladies. Well, basically, it it is similar to your, the United Nations Protocol. It's a very uh, progressive form of legislation. Okay. But I think what our challenges are is that it's actually implementing it. It's quite a complicated piece of legislation, which requires serious education and awareness raising workshops as mm. to how to apply it. Because mm. I think a lot of people don't know how, where they fit in. Mm. Now, 
our offences in terms of the Trafficking in Persons Act, you've got your Trafficking in Persons with the various forms of exploitation in Sections 4, mm. which is the one that gives you lengthy sentences. You can even get a 100 million um uh, what you call this fine or a long-term imprisonment sentence or both. And then you get your other offenses which are related to trafficking mm. but are not trafficking in persons per se. Mm. So like your debt bondage and those go from sections 5 to 10 and associated offenses mm. which have got various penalties. Mm. So that's where your offenses sit. Then you have to now interpret mm what exploitation means. And I think where people get it wrong is that they think that in order to prove, for example, child trafficking, all three elements must be there. And you find people want to use that as a safety net, which can delay prosecutions because mm. they're looking for the means, mm. whereas they don't have to prove it. Mm. Then you have, obviously, your rights. A mm. survivor is Important. entitled to compensation. A survivor, mm. a person who's been found to be a human trafficking victim, can access any of the services of the accredited organization. Mm. That's what it does. A survivor who's not a South African will be able to think about whether they want to assist in the prosecution. So they have that period to think about whether they were going to be able to assist and they allow them to be restored during that process. And then thereafter they proceed. They can also, if they're accessories, I mean, if they are also participants uh, by force, because you get somebody who's being recruited for sexual exploitation, who's then expect, expected to go and recruit another person. Correct. Um, yes. Yes. So in that instance, obviously the discretion lies with the prosecutor to ha make the necessary, as, no, to refer the person for assessment to social development. And if they are found to be a victim, then they are, are allowed, they, 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 they will withdraw the charges against them. Right? It also facilitates your repatriation process as well. Mm -hmm. So they will organize, uh, you even have the option sometimes if you feel, no, I cannot go back to my country. Correct. That they might even ask, they can actually arrange for you to stay here. Wonderful. You know what? It, it's so important that we speak about people living not from South Africa. There are a lot of mitigating factors which make it so impossible for them to leave and leave the country. What Do you have anything to say about that situation? Well, I mean, if we go back to Pumla mentioned rights, people's rights, human rights, I am astounded at how many of us actually don't know what our rights are. And part of our education is going into to schools to help protect um, children and the youth from being trafficked and their rights fall into this category. And it's, it totally blew my mind to start realizing and, 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 and knowing and seeing how so many of us don't actually completely know our rights. And I think that is actually a very important part that we need to start looking at. And I think it's a gap that unfortunately we may have missed. Um, so for me, I think that part is extremely important. Tell us about Indomes Clan. Dobez in Tlanu came out. Hey, I, ca I also did human trafficking by default. When I went to do my master's at the University of KwaZulu Natal, I had said to my sister, I wanted to do, um, labor, uh, a labor, I think I wanted to do a thesis on, uh, wow. 
No, it was domestic violence, I think, and how ineffective uh, the, 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 what do you call these papers? The, the, the protection orders. Mm. Because people oh, get yeah, killed. Of course. So she said, oh my goodness, that's such a dead topic. Why don't you just go and do something on human trafficking? I said, what's that? I said, modern day slavery. I said, no, it doesn't exist. So, and then I went into it and I then realized that uh, mm. there were gaps in our legislation. Um, obviously. So that is how I got into it. And I then became a lay counselor for, for, open for, for Open Door Crisis wow. Care Center. What is a lay counselor? Do you a lay counselor, you're supposed to, I mean, if people have emotional problems, you're supposed to help them through that so that eventually they're able to stand on their own. And that helped me. I've got a social science degree actually before my, my law degrees. Um, so that's been able to help me actually talk about societal issues. Absolutely. Um, so yes, that came out as an idea from open door. I then decided I am going to look at the state of the country and see what the NGOs are offering. And the gap I found was that a lot of them were not actually offering legal assistance especially with respect to trafficking in persons. Mm. So that was my vision. The reason why I did it was because my mom was a teacher. My mom was a teacher. She's produced many leaders. So from where I'm coming from, whoever comes out of that institute will actually fulfill their dreams and be a, a, a teacher, a leader, or whatever they want to be, but somebody who people will listen to. And that's where it came from. But unfortunately, I could not do it on my own. And I had to join hands with Cornerstone. So we are now merged as Cornerstone Anti-Human Trafficking Institute. Uh, so we probably, we are having a holistic approach. Uh, we don't just do, um, legal education and training mm-hmm. and legal assistance. They also do the work. Sh- I mean, the, uh, awareness raising. Um, they also have, uh, actors who are fighting against human trafficking at the moment uh, through their productions. We're having Wonderful. a production in East London. Wonderful. Um, and also, they also do um, protective behavior. I What's can't that? get it. I think Wendy will be able to Wendy? explain um, Protective behaviors is one of the um, awareness presentations that Hope Prison do at schools where um, we teach the children about early warning signs. What are safe emotions to have? What are unsafe, you know, emotions to have? And also what to do about it, you know. And um, Tabitha's actually, I think maybe why don't you share that one case yeah. where you actually saved a child from being kidnapped. Mm. So it's, it's also what's a good secret and what's not a good secret. Um, and I had attended a, a school called me in last year and I had done this um, presentation to the school, to these little kids, and we, we learned about the early warning signs, what to do, how to protect yourself if something happens. And literally two weeks later, the principal phoned me and said, you will never believe what, what happened um, two days ago. One of our kids were walking home from school with another friend, and there was an attempted kidnapping with one of the kids. But because of what they had learned through our presentation, they were able to actually save their lives. And so it was incredible to know that actually that tool became so valuable to saving those two children's lives. For the ordinary South African, the ordinary citizen out there who really wants to help, 
uh, in whatever way they can. Um, whether it's time, whether it's education and just wants to end the plight of the rise of human trafficking, where do they start? Where can they go to be empowered and to be an activist when it comes to this? Just simple ways and what an ordinary South African can do. Wendy? I think, um, and then uses Pumlani. Okay. I think the ideal thing, the first thing for them to do is to, um, uh, create an awareness or go where they can receive awareness training. Um, with Pumla, with myself as well, until about seven years ago, I wasn't aware that human trafficking took place. So I think, um, it's to connect, you know, um, with her prison or one of the organizations who do, you know, um, awareness training because there we can tell the everyday person about human trafficking, what it is, what red flags to look out for, um, how they could get involved. And then after that, if they're still interested, you know, they can contact us as a volunteer and then we train them, you know, to volunteer in various areas. We we have a, a slogan in our foundation that's called justice is in the hands of the ordinary. Now, for me, I think that's powerful because that speaks to the fact that any one of us out there can do something, even if it's a little thing. And we often think that we've got to do something big. Huge to be great. Huge to be great. Absolutely. Um, what we, people can't all, don't, we can't all be Winnie Mandela's. Uh, <laughs> We want to. What people don't realize is that it's, it, we, we've been going for 10 years this year, um, on the ground and that took, that took a little mustard seed to go somewhere. Mm. So start somewhere. Do whatever it is that you can within your own capacity, within your own passion, with, with the hours that you have in your life, the finances that you receive every month. What is it that you can do small? That can make a huge change because people out there think in order to save someone's life, they've got to do something really big. Mm -hmm. And it's not the case mm -hmm. because a lot of our tip-offs, a lot of the lives that we have saved have come from ordinary people who are just simply educated at a workshop on what human trafficking is. And they phoned in and said, look, we're concerned. This is what's happened. This is the information. Mm -hmm. And then they've saved someone's life. It's not this big gun, ho, get bulletproof mm -hmm. vest on and off we go. It doesn't have to be like that. Um, so, yeah, I just think justice is in the hands of the ordinary. That's just like any of us. You know what? I think that we have a tendency, especially as South Africans, just to turn a blind eye. Yeah. When we see something wrong, you know what I mean? You don't want to get involved. It's too much effort. You know, it's taking time out of What's mind. the government's problem? You, you know what I mean? Mm. You're passing the buck, you know, and. Well, I'm glad you're saying that because we yes, all have an obligation to report. Mm. Tell us more. So, um, I mean, as I agree we love with my colleagues. Oh, I'm so excited. <laughs> I love this. I love it. Yes, yes. I agree with my colleagues that awareness raising is important. Mm. And in order for that to happen, obviously the relevant organizations should be going out there. But also that information needs to be filtered out into the communities Correct. by the very same people who attended the workshop. So you're empowering them to empower their communities mm. because we cannot reach everywhere. But there is an obligation on South Africans, irrespective, to report human trafficking, especially child trafficking. If you are found to have the knowledge and you withhold that information, you can go to prison for five years. So it's no longer an option. You don't have the discretion. 
you have to report it, which is why we are going out on our awareness raising drive so that by the time, I mean, a lot of people don't know about it, but it is also the government's responsibility to ensure that the ordinary person in the streets knows what human trafficking is. Um, and not just the NGOs. I think they have the money to do so. Um, they have, no, they do. It's just that manifesto. Yeah. It's, it's just that we think that they don't. Um, and I think if we can get that on the ground, our, our motto is to educate, liberate and restore our slogan. So education first, liberation thereafter and restoring one's dignity. And those are the three things that are mostly important. So. Child trafficking must be reported. Adult, yes, if you're suspicious. Unfortunately, our legislation says you have the discretion as an ordinary person. But people who are working in that space have an obligation Mm -hmm. to report it. Whether you are a health worker, whether you're an NGO, if it comes to your knowledge or suspicion, you must report it or else there will be consequences. Rounding up, give us three nuggets of informational advice of how you as an ordinary South African with the government can help alleviate the problem of human trafficking. I think one of them I would hold, I would love to do a joint effort with government on workshops and that's, I think, what we've been trying to do, which mm. has become quite a challenge. That would be so great. I've mm. done it in uh, in the Eastern Cape, in um, what's a small I, town now? In, in workshops, what, what happens in those workshops? In those workshops, mm. you get people to do exercises. So you don't just stand there and talk forever, amen. You give them exercises to do after each session mm. so that they apply it. Mm. So that's been one success with social development in the Eastern Cape. Uh, we went to a small town near Gramstown and that mm. was quite successful. Mm. The other thing that I would like to push for mm. is to see the cases being monitored. I really feel that we need to be active there and actually monitor the cases within court. I'd like to see us holding hands with mm. the NPA, for example, mm. uh, where they would actually listen to us when there's a specific case on the court roll, mm. that they mustn't just put any mm. uh, inexperienced prosecutor. So when we say, please put somebody more experienced who knows about human trafficking, that they would take us seriously. That's the second thing. The third one would obviously be on the policies. Um Probably having someone in parliament, you know, from one of the organizations Absolutely. being quite active there Absolutely. and speaking on our behalf. Uh, oh, there's pa- parliament. No, well, we talk, we're talking we about parliament. Let's do this. And, and, and we were in parliament. Yeah. Um, last year, March. Yeah. And it was an incredible opportunity to be a voice for these survivors of human trafficking. Fantastic. Because we cannot decriminalize prostitution. Mm. It is fueling. It is intertwined. We cannot do that. It is not going to be a a, a good thing to do for them. And, And we've heard the stories and they will tell you themselves. And so I think... Yes, you are right, Pumla. We need to get into these spaces and places because I think for me, what I would love to see in a nutshell is could we not work together 
if we could all work together, we could get to parliament and have a more powerful voice. But at the moment, we're in silos. Government's doing its thing. We're doing our thing. And this one's doing its thing. But we, and we're all doing such amazing things and amazing work. And we're saving lives and we're making change. But collaboratively, we could be so much more powerful. And that is what we need in parliament. We need a collective voice that is all singing the same song and has the same heartbeats. And that's where we can make huge change. Wendy, last a nugget from you about where would you like to see yourself in any collaborative effort with government about ending human slavery? I think if government could give it an, as much attention mm-hmm. as they're giving certain other elements that are happening in our country, mm. we would be able to achieve way more. But I don't think that human trafficking or trafficking in persons is being given the attention it deserves if you look at the number of people who are being affected by it. As fellow South Africans, let's protect each other's rights and make the conscious effort to join the fight with such a powerful constitution and stringent laws. We have an opportunity to bring justice to our country. Let's hold each other accountable and responsible for the contribution towards ending human slavery in Amzanzi. Says Pumla, advocates. <laughs> Advocate Pumla, thank you so much for, gosh, your, your, your hunger and your passion and your drive and your forward thinking and your commitment and your compassion to your purpose. We need more women like you. I just wish more lawyers would actually come into the space. I think there's a high demand for that. Um, I am starting a legal unit, so I'm hoping to recruit a lot of these young graduates who will come and join us and be a force to be reckoned with. Because Wonderful. I seriously feel that law is not just about making money. Law is about... You know, uh, ensuring that people's rights are respected. And I feel lawyers, as lawyers, we need to play our role. And we're not. We used to make a lot of noise in the apartheid era. But there are very few lawyers who are actually making a noise in the human rights space, except for Lawyers for Human Rights Legal Resources Center. We don't see the other organizations talking about these issues. And we'd like to see them vocal. We'd like to see them representing some of our clients, you know, sometimes for free. Pro bono. Pro bono. That's what we want. Uh, take on a case. If we are, don't have funding, please volunteer your services for these people. Go and be a friend of the court. We cannot do it alone. There are many law firms here in South Africa, and that's what I'd like to see. Yes. So, Sis Pumla, um, for anybody who wants to get hold of you, and I'll be the first in queue, please give us um, your website or email. The website is www.cahti.org. And our email address is legal at kati, C-A-H-T-I dot org. Thank you so much. Wendy, thank you so much for joining us in the studio. That's Wendy McKillop. That's BA in Health Sciences and Social Services from Hope Prison. And of course, um, David Graceful Tabitha Lage, and that's CEO and founder of Hope Prison. There is hope. And every day there are examples of hope and love conquering in all circumstances. Nobody should be allowed to be labeled with a price tag. Everybody has a right to freedom. This is Humans for Sale, a six-part podcast series with Hope Risen Foundation brought to you by Pembani.